Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Future Sox podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Cole. Brian Billick sat down with Scott Merkin this week. I talked to Charlie Tilson, and that is going to be your Future Sox podcast this week. Some news, though, for you. We will be back with a full podcast at some point here coming up in the near future. And then next week, May 10th, I will have a chat with White Sox play-by-play announcer Jason Benetti. As always, be sure to follow Future Sox on Twitter at Future Sox. I am on Twitter at CDCole55, and Brian Billick is on Twitter at BrianBillick underscore. You can follow us along on Twitter and on Instagram and all those good things. So we're going to kick off the podcast here with Brian's talk with Scott Merkin, and then I will have a quick little chat with Charlotte Knights outfielder Charlie Tilson. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more of the Future Sox podcast. All right, Brian Billick here for another Future Sox podcast. And with me, I have MLB.com Scott Merkin. Scott is the authority when it comes to White Sox beat writers, and you can follow him and his work on Twitter at Scott Merkin. Scott, uh, you know, first and foremost, thanks for giving us the time, but it's, it's Tuesday night for reference, and the Sox just lost one nothing in a 4-10 game. Now I'm just thinking out loud. Ed, Ed, I mean, you've been following the team for 15 years or whatever it's been. Have you ever seen a start time like this, or is this is this the first? I've seen, you know, with TV stuff on Saturdays, they've seen, like, uh, East Coast games, you know, where they usually start, like, 3-10 here in Chicago, start at 4-10. And, and it's just kind of an odd time in the fact that, you know, you don't really have the day one way or the other. You don't have, like, a huge time in the morning or afternoon to get anything going, and you don't have any – you don't have a ton of time after the game ends. Now, this game happened to move pretty quickly today. But I think, you know, marketing, white, the White Sox marketing was trying some things and just uh, – you might as well in April, right? That makes sense because it's usually a little colder. They don't draw as much, that kind of thing. So why not try a 410? And I think that was, is geared at from what I heard – People who, you know, kind of work in the city and instead of having to go out, go home and then come back to the game at night, just seeing if they would show up, you know, to, to the game or same with school. Maybe, you know, kids who get out of school at three have a chance to go to the game. Now, again, you know, just like people unfairly went after the Sox attendance-wise that Monday when there was, what, two inches of snow on the ground mm-hmm. that Roger Bosser had to clear out, I, I think, you know, nothing against Seattle, but aside from Ichiro, who's a little past his prime, there's not, and maybe Felix, Felix Hernandez, who's pitching the series finale. <clears throat> There's not exactly a draw that gets you to go out just to see Seattle. You know, I mean, Nelson Cruz is a great player. Robin Cano is a great player. Segura's played very well for them. You know, Haniger's killing the ball this year. But there, there's no one like, you know, Otani or Trout where you're like, oh, I got to go out. Even if the Sox are playing bad, I got to go see them. So don't base the attendance on this one. I, I will say that I think it gets a little tougher you know, uh, shade-wise and that kind of thing late in the game, especially when you're facing a guy like Edwin Diaz to pick up the baseball. So we'll see what they, you know, it's the only one that I know of right now that they have in the foreseeable future. So we'll see how they they thought it went and, you know, go from there. They had the first good weather that I can really remember, like really purely good weather at home this year was, was pretty much today. Yeah, I mean, you you got to give them credit for trying. I mean, sure, obviously yeah. Things haven't gone well, and the, and the weather's been no help. I, I know I've been to three games, and it's like, 40 degrees every time so you know it, it was a little weird I, and I, I was I wasn't too in, in touch with the news so I was curious if you heard anything but you know it's good to see them trying regardless but you know as as we've watched uh you know things haven't been going uh too well with the with the big league team but the minor leagues are garnering a lot of uh attention particularly with the Winston-Salem Bash 
you had a chance to speak with uh, a few of the players on there, and specifically Mike Adolfo. What did you learn about uh, his impressive start this year, and, and, and especially with you having the background of speaking with him in years past? Yeah, you know, I think I might have uh, uh... – I might be able to lay claim to doing the first interview ever with Adolfo, not, not counting like when he signed, you know, and, and got an interview there. But he was, uh, he spent his first year with Bristol when Bristol still was a Sox affiliate. Now he didn't play because he was too young at that point, but he was like kind of getting, you know, getting to know everyone there. And then he was there in the instructional league. And I remember he was, it was after a game and these two younger guys, now younger, you know, compared to me pretty much, um, probably like early 20s came up to him and said, you know, they had heard great things about him after he had just signed and they're looking forward to seeing him in U.S. Cellular at that point. And he was like in awe. You know, he couldn't believe that people knew who he was. And he not only signed autographs for him, but sat and talked with him for like five or ten minutes. And then I talked to him at that point. And what impressed me then is just the maturity he had. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, if this guy, you know, can hit and get it done in the outfield, this is this is a guy who could be a star in Chicago because he's just that got that kind of personality. Now, since then, that was a skinny, you know, 16-year-old kid. He's put on a lot of, you know, adult muscle type of thing. And I think his, the thing that impressed me, Brian, about Miker and Blake Rutherford, who I talked to in that same day, I haven't, I haven't written the Blake Rutherford stuff yet, but just how they've kind of matured and developed with their approach from, you know, from year to year. Rutherford talked about how last year he'd have a bad at-bat or a bad game, and he'd carry it on into the next at-bat or the next game. And he's learned kind of to separate this year, which is why he's probably, you know, besides his raw talent, one of the reasons he's killing the ball. And then Adolfo talked about, you know, becoming sort of a middle-in to right field sort of hitter and stressed about you have to be able to you know, be ready to hit the fastball. you got to be ready to hit the fastball, and then everything else comes off that. So, you know, and he's kind of playing, as, as I wrote the other day, not with a cloud over him, but just, you know, he knows that there could be right elbow surgery in his future whenever that next MRI is. He feels good. I talked to Rick Hahn, and they said, you know, they're going to let him go. There is a date they have in mind. He didn't remember it at the time I talked to him, but he said they're going to let him go. But, again, I don't think they're going to let this go into the off season and then have him have surgery and then miss the whole, you know, important 2019 season. So I think if he can get some reps, get some at-bats as he's done and done a nice job overall, and then if, if there is a need for surgery, I think it would come in season so he could be ready to play again at some point in 2019. Yeah, it's, it's really an interesting uh, thing with Adolfo, and I can't really – nothing comes to mind as far as, you know, he has the, the slight UCL tear, and they, they want him to keep learning how to hit at that level and, and keep getting the at-bats, but he can't be in right field with, with his big right. arm. So they got to time it really well or really perfectly, and, and we'll see, you know, if the Sox are able to pull that off. But – it, it is interesting with, with the dash in particular, they have so many outfielders with, you know, both Adolfo and Rutherford, who you alluded to, and then guys like Joel Booker, who are, you know, draft picks, more recent draft picks showing very well in the early going. But the other guy is uh, Luis Alexander Pasabi, and, and, I mean, he's just as hot as, as, as any of them. And, and I think most people know he's the third piece in the sale trade. And, and, and just coming off of this offseason, the Sox front office really made it about him being injured last year, and I think he was more injured than uh, was reported. You know, what, what have you been hearing about him, and, and do you think his success is as simple as just playing healthy? Yeah, you know, when they made that trade, that was we were in, like, you know, the Washington, D.C. area for the winter meetings. And I remember, you know, of course, Moncada was already known as one of the top, you know, one or two players in the minor leagues at that point. 
and Kopech, you know, lights out stuff and has continued to show that, and you know, for Charlotte this year. But people also talked about, you know, the other two pieces, how Victor Diaz, unfortunately, has had a lot of injury issues and just has not been, you know, you know, has not hit that stride. People thought that he could have helped out, you know, like the major league bullpen sooner than later. But like I said, it's just been banged up. And then Basabi, you know, was considered kind of a, I don't know if people talked about him as like an everyday center fielder, but certainly a athletic type guy who could fit at the major league level. And yeah, I mean, when he's healthy, you know, he's got all sorts of skill sets. You know, I mean, he he can run, he can hit, he can hit for power. So if you can get him as your third piece, now, albeit, let's let, you know, granted, Let's not forget they traded, you know, arguably one of what, the top three or four starting pitchers in the game of baseball. Right. So you better get a good return of that. You better not be selling 80 cents on the dollar for that one, you know. So, but, you know, credit to Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and everyone else who worked on that trade to not only get two guys who could really be cornerstones of the rebuild, you know, with uh, probably with Aloy Jimenez when you're talking Moncada and Kopech, but also a guy who, you know, may be more than just a fourth outfielder, may be able to help you as a everyday sort of player. So, yeah, I mean, again, you got you got to let the, it's it's kind of like, and you know this, Brian, you see this, you know, with Moncada as an example, you know, he started off really slow and was he had the one game where he, you know, didn't make a play uh, on a ground ball to right field at the end of the Minnesota game when the one game that got played in our glorious snow trip to Minnesota, he he wasn't able to make the play going towards first base on a grounder and then struck out of the ninth inning when he looked at like three straight pitches, pretty much strikes and. You know, then the debate starts, oh, he's a bust. And then he gets hot like he has lately, and now people are like, oh, he has MVP capabilities. And my point on all these guys is you, you got to let them go for a little bit. You know, you just got to let them – you know, some guys, it may take two or three – you know, you look at a guy, not just go all over the place, but like Zach Collins who struggled at the minor league level, it may just some, suddenly click for him, and then he's got he's going to go, you know. Some guys don't ever get to that point, but using Moncada as an example, you know, at some point – it kicks in and you get that consistency, but you know, he's not even had what 400 played appearances in his career. So you right. got to give all these guys time. So again, with Basabi, it's exciting what he's doing, but you got to see how he plays out over a full season to see what he actually, you know, what, what he looks like at this point. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, your underlying point there is, is you know, the fans kind of, they, they tend to overreact. And, and, and I think, you know, better than me, it's the, the fans just keep getting, you know, smarter and smarter and, and oh, yeah, questions sure. with the scouting jargon they're using and all the advanced metrics and the spin rate and all that. But then it's like Moncada will go 0 for 9 with four strikeouts in, in, a, in back-to-back games, and all of a sudden it's like it's all over. And it, it is funny, you know, watching that, that chasm there. But Well, I, I think one of the things, like, compared to when I was growing up as a baseball fan is now you have things like MLB Pipeline and you have, uh, you know, with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis and Baseball America with all their people. And Future Sox, with the great job you guys all do. I mean, there really is a huge education of these prospects, you know. I mean, and, and maybe it's because so many teams are gravitating towards that rebuild because it's, you know, it worked for the Cubs, it worked for the Astros, it worked for the Royals. And people have all this information out there. They have access to video. They have access to interviews. They have, you know... When I was growing up, you know, you you knew about maybe one or two prospects who were really good and hope they make it, you know, and maybe you see an interview with them in spring training or when they camp to the majors. But now there's just such a proliferation of information on these guys. And, you know, I I think the Sox fans were just wanting for some sort of direction that, you know, they they were tired of being the team that was good for a couple months and then fell off and then finished somewhere around 77 to 83 wins, but not quite there. You know, oh, if we had those two weeks back, we might have made it. 
they just wanted a you know a, a direction one way or the other. It's either you know go all in and go for it, which they did a couple times and it didn't always work, or go and build that base up, which you know Rick Hahn and Kenny are doing right now and seem to be moving in the right direction. And like you said, you know the fans just wanted a direction, whether it bet right. the Sox getting free agents, and there's still some fans complaining the Sox didn't sign Mustakas and Chris Dickerson and, and tried to go for it this year, which right. is crazy to me, but. You know, getting back to some of the some of the prospects. I mean, obviously, Kopech is probably one of the guy your guys you're asked about uh, the most, and he's mowing down AAA hitters again as he did last year in a short stint. And you know, I I think I I'll probably be wrong on this, but I I don't see any reason he's not up by by the end of May. I mean, he doesn't have that much else to prove, and if he's going to debut at, at with the big league club at some point this year, and it's I don't see the team waiting all the way to the Super 2 deadline. You know, I don't see any reason he needs to waste any more bullets down in the minors. But with, with Gonzalez heading to the DL, I mean, do you see a scenario where, where he could be up here uh, maybe, maybe sooner than, than people expect? Well, it's interesting because as we're talking about this, you know, uh, they're heading towards a five-game series in, in Kansas City. They have, they have 11 games in 10 days before Monday's off day. And they're already, what, uh, you know, a couple games in, into that – more than a couple games into that stretch. They You know, they played uh, – the three with Houston and then, you know, the three with Oakland. So, so they're, they're moving, they're moving forward on that, but they have this, you know, funky five game series in Kansas city. And you're trying to figure out like, who's going to be that second starter in the game in the doubleheader Saturday, you know, figuring that Fulmer, it looks like Giolito Lopez and then Fulmer going in one of the doubleheader games. And then who's going to start Sunday, you know, and and I talked to Miguel Gonzalez today and while he's not worried, this is a serious thing or anything close to, like a long-term thing. It doesn't think, sound like he's going to be ready white when, right when he's eligible to come off. So, you know, do you go down and get someone who you figure you can start, you know, more consistently as opposed to kind of piecing together Chris Volstead and Hector Santiago, although Santiago and both of them have some starting experience. But, you know, it, it's it's interesting to figure it out because, you know, there's no room on the 40-man. So that's another thing you have to deal yeah. with and who, who do you want to move off there. As for Kopech, you know, I was originally told, I heard, you know, like last year, think – similar path to Ronaldo Lopez, but I, you know, and what, and what he did last year, I think he made like 22 starts for Charlotte and then came out to the majors. I, I agree with you though, Brian. I think if, you know, he's, Kopech made about three starts right now, I think. And I think, you know, three or four more, maybe even five. And, you know, he, he's that same kind of dominance. You may see him get a look done. Here, here's the thing to remember about all this. And they handled this very well last year with, Moncada and with uh, Giolito and with Lopez, barring something unexpected like kind of what's happening with Giolito a little bit right now, when they bring these guys up, they want these guys to stay. And, you know, the example Rick's used a thousand times and I've used that a bunch of times on interviews is, you know, Joe Creedy and Aaron Rowan, who were integral in the 2005 World Series championship, they came up and had to go back down and then came back again to kind of get things straight. So, you know, that it, it still may happen to some of these guys, but the the plan is, have them as ready as possible. And another thing that Rick said about Moncada last year is they brought him up when they figured, you know, he had not only was he ready, but there really was no other challenge for him to face in the International League. So that's an astute point on your part that it may be quicker for Kopech. Maybe it is eight starts or seven starts or nine starts when they say, you know what, he's not gaining anything down here now. He's just blowing these guys away. Let's see what he can do in the major league level. So, you know, again, I, I, this is not a year that was purely designed. I think they wanted, you know, to see some improvement this year, but this is not a year designed as a contending year, as you pointed out by, you know, them not dipping into the free agent pool aside from Wellington Castillo. So 
So there's no rush. Same sense with Carlos Rodon coming back from his rehab. But, yeah, I think if Kopech proves he belongs, they're certainly not going to hold him down. They're going to let him have that chance. And, and I and I hope you're right on that. But, you know, it's funny with this with this intersection of the whole rebuild and the, the Sox moving past the whole, uh, you know, retooling and try to patch up holes. And, and I, I think both Sale and, and Rodon, who you alluded to, are, are different types of prospects than, than Kopech is, you know, primarily because they were uh, guys that pitched a lot in college and got a lot of experience and came right. into the league when they were right. to the minors, at least when they were in their twenties. But I, I think Kopech is, is just as elite in terms of, of prospects. And, you know, if, if the guy's not being challenged, I think in the past, you know, on the pitching side, the Sox would never get criticized for it, but they didn't want to waste any bullets down there. Of right. course, they moved some bats through the order that, you know, they, they ended up getting some flag for and, and, you know, with hindsight, rightfully so. But, you know, it's, is there, you think this is a little bit of, you know, gets in the new player development guys changing their way, or, or is this just, you know, the way that they handle the prospect regardless of uh, philosophy? Yeah, I think it's just the philosophy now under the rebuild. You know, it's interesting because people, you know, I think sometimes forget, and, 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 it, and it speaks to the White Sox fans', fans passion for this rebuild because really the rebuild, you know, I, I think you know this too, would, was born out of failure. You know, I mean, they had – Chris Sale, they had Jose Quintana, they had Adam Eaton, they had Adam Dunn, they had Paul Canerco. You know, they had all these guys that were part of the organization, and they still have, you know, what, been to the playoffs once since the World Series, right, 2008, and came close in 2012, and, it, you know, it didn't work out the last couple of weeks there. But, you know, they're being careful on it, and I think it's all part of the plan. Like you said, there were a lot of top prospects who were, for lack of a better word, rushed in the years past, but then again – they were kind of the only major prospects they had in that system. You know, I mean, this is, this is now a system that's just absolutely loaded and it's something you got to do. You know, I mean, you have to have, oh, I don't know, 20, 23, 24 prospects to make sure that like, you know, five, six, seven really hit it and really hit it big. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I think Kopech, like you said, could be a different scenario. I mean, it worked well with sale, right? I mean, sale was taken 13th overall. People thought he would go a little higher you know, Kenny tells the story about that he told him draft day, you know, get yourself in here and you'll be up here sooner than you think. And he was up, I think, like two months to the day he was drafted. He was pitching out of the White Sox bullpen. So right. I don't think Kopech will be in the bullpen because there's just not a, you know, there's not a call for it, barring a, a shocking turnaround and a surprise contention. But, I, you know, I, like you said, I think <laughs> if if the challenge has been met in Charlotte, and I'm not talking about, you know, four or five starts the challenge is met, but if the challenge has been met to what they see sufficient and he's not gaining anything there, then I could see them call him up and see him, you know, let him in. I mean, this is a guy who's probably going to be, I don't know if you would agree, but probably going to be your ace, right, going forward in these, you I know, what, so, yeah. what Sox fans hope are like seven or eight straight competitive years, right, where you're contending for the division in the World Series. But, I mean, I think if you if you lay things out, you know, it's him and – you know, Giolito, hopefully, and uh, Alec Hansen, and you have Dane Dunning. Dylan Cease has been a great pickup in the Cubs trade. Uh, you don't know where Carlos Rodon is going to fit exactly going forward, and Carson Fulmer. Some of these guys are going to have to go to the bullpen, obviously. I'd be, I've never seen a team work with a nine-man rotation, even as good as these guys are. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think Kopech, of all of it, is your – is he is your uh, ace of the staff pretty much, right? So, you know, it, it, it'll be – there's no rush on him. But like you said, there's no point in – keeping him down if he's not gaining anything. And, and they'll know when. They, they've done a good job. They'll, they'll know when it's time to give him that next challenge. 
And it's funny, you know, just on Twitter going through mentions, it's it's like and, and going back to the earlier point we were making with fans being so educated on everything, but, you know, we're getting tweets with people complaining about, you know, Jordan Stevens and, and uh, Jordan Guerrero repeating double A and all that. And, you know, the Sox are too conservative now, which I never right. would have thought I'd heard. But at the same time, I'm kind of like with, with Kopech, and, and it, it is very early, but if, if he gives another two, three, four starts where – you know, there's no – it's all weak contact, and, you know, there's not a lot of walks, and there's a lot of Ks. It's, let's let's see what he has um, in the big leagues because, you know, and I think there's one thing the Sox have been good about is, is uh, they haven't been particularly concerned with the Super 2 deadline. Right. And when it, when it comes to, you know, players' development, and, and I, I think Han said it a bunch of times, you know, if, if we're going to bring him up a little bit earlier, and that's going to cost us, you know, whatever it is, three, five million over the years because – because they did just that, like that's a that's a good scenario because they have to pay him more because the guy's you know a good player and succeeding. But before I, I keep rambling on, I, I just got one one more and then I'll uh, wrap up and let you go. But um, you know a guy we've spent a lot of time covering over the years uh, is Matt Davidson, and you know he's kind of in this in between spot where you know the White Sox moved to their window of contention, but. It was, I guess it was last winter, so like 2016, 2017. I, I think you told me four or five times that Davidson was going to hit 20 home runs. And it wasn't like you were repeating yourself on anything else. Like, that was your one thing. You, you know, he's going to hit over 20 home runs this year. And, and to your credit, you know, even with injuries last year, what did he hit, 20, 26 or 28? 26, I think it was, yeah. yeah. He hit like 26 and 69 or something like that, RBI yeah. was. And, and you were you were all over that where, you know, frankly, I, I thought there was a good chance, you know, there wasn't a roster spot for him. Right. right. But, um, you know, what made you believe in him and, and what does he need to do uh, to kind of carve a role for himself moving forward? Well, it's funny. I don't claim to have, like, the, the expert scout's eye, but I was out uh, not this past hitters minicamp, but so I guess it would have been the hitters minicamp of 2017. And I was watching Davidson, and I think I was actually talk, standing there and talking to Nick Hostetler. And he was just, you know, again, this is batting practice, and a lot of guys who look good in batting practice, but he was just killing the ball. I mean, just it, it had a different sound to him. And I even asked Nick, who does have an expert scout on, I said, he looks different, doesn't he? He's like, oh, yeah. He said, there's, you know, there's him and uh, Mike Gellinger, who I don't think people know as much, you know, who ha- maybe haven't followed this team for 14, 15 years, but Mike played a big role in that 05 World Series championship. I mean, you know, I think he was – his title was like analyst, but he was really basically Greg Walker's assistant hitting coach. And you talked to Paul Canerco, and he was he had a huge part in helping his swing too. So Mike and Matt worked, you know, after those two really bad years, Matt had in Charlotte, and they kind of rebuilt the swing. And it just there just looked like something different with him and hitters minicamp. And I thought if he can carry that through, he's going to produce, and that's what he did. You know, and then, then of course he had that unreal opening day game with the three home runs, joining yeah. the likes of a. Uh, Tuffy Rhodes to in, in the three home run opening day thing, and you know he's been kind of up and down, and I think he's he's still youngish too in baseball vernacular. And, and you're right, there are some guys who are in kind of that that middle group where they're not young, they're not old, and how do they fit? And and you know I know Jake Berger having the uh, the ruptured Achilles that sets him back a little bit, so you know. Is Davidson a third baseman that can hang in there for a little bit, even though Yomer is playing a lot of third base right now? You know, is his power and you know his is his power enough because he does strike out a decent amount, just like Moncada strikes out a decent amount. So yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I, I don't think he's a guy they're looking to flip, 
I think he's a guy who's going to get an opportunity this whole year. But then, you know, it'll be interesting to see where a lot of these guys, you know, where does Avi Garcia, who's injured right now, but after his great year last year and a little bit of a slower start, although we're, what, 20, 20 games in, right? They're 5 and 15 right. right now. So, you know, how does he fit moving forward, especially with two years of, you know, just this year and next year of control for the White Sox? Abreu is a completely different story because Abreu is, you know, an all-star and has been just an offensive force since he came here and is almost kind of like having – an extra coach in that clubhouse. So he's and also a little bit older, so a different category. But, you know, Yomer Sanchez, I was just talking about Yomer Sanchez. Where do all these guys fit as these, you know, young guys? Eventually, you know, you're not going to be talking about, hey, did you see what, you know, Robert, well, he isn't there yet, but, you know, what Jimenez did at Birmingham last night, or how about that start by Kopech at Charlotte? They're going to be up with the White Sox. So how do the rest of the guys fit as they move forward is another thing. And I think even a guy like Palka, who got called up today, who's got great raw power, who they claimed, you know, from Minnesota. He's probably going to get a little bit of a chance. I don't think Avi is going to be back the minute he's eligible to return. So, again, another guy. You know, I mean, look at Delmonico. Delmonico came up last year and had a good start, had kind of tailed off a little at Charlotte. You know, wasn't really considered an elite prospect and made a name for himself last year to the point where he got a starting job this year. So, you know, what do these guys do with the opportunity when they have the chance? And that'll be – that's another key part of this development year, not just the top prospects. But the other guys who are good players might be a little bit out of the prospect range. How do they fit into the, you know, to the team long term? Yeah, and I think that that's really one of the more interesting parts of the rebuild. So you get you get a lot of people right now saying, you know, this this year, you know, we're way further, you know, we're way toward way more towards the beginning of the rebuild than the end of the rebuild, and you know, this is the hardest year and all that. But you know, I think it's kind of interesting with with all the guys you touched on. You know, they all show these, these flashes or these glimpses of being productive players, but then, you know, they all have a, a ward of some sort or, or, or a flaw that they have to correct. You know, like Delmonico, I mean, you know, with his, you know he's shown a lot at the plate, but, you know, if he's just going to be a subpar left fielder, is there a role there? You know, Davidson, if he's going to be striking out 35% of the time, you know, how much does his power actually play? And, you know, Sanchez, I think, is impressing everybody with just, you know, just his ability at the plate and his bat control. But then at the same time, you know, has he got enough pop for third base or, you know, is he more of a premier bench player? So I, I think there's a lot for, for the Sox to sort out uh, moving forward. But, you know, I did say I'll let you go, so I'll cut you off there, Scott. But that is uh, MLB.com, Scott Merkin. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Merkin. Otherwise, just hang tight for another segment of the Future Sox podcast. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate it, man. No problem. Didn't mean to ramble on a couple of those, but we got going oh, I'm, and I'm hard to find the end point. It, 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 when you're with me, you can't be the rambler. I, I ramble the most. <laughs> it's like, it, but it, it, that's baseball, though. You know, you start with one thing, and it's like you're talking oh, yeah. about a totally different things. For sure. For sure, it's, yeah. It's natural. I think I think we uh, we mesh well on that end. So. Yes. Yeah, it, it, you're right about Davidson. It'll be interesting because Davidson right now is pretty much – I mean, with the walks increases here, he's pretty much like a three-true outcome guy right now, right? I mean, he's either homers. I, mean, I think one of the reasons he got upset today on that call third was that, you know, it was one of his four oh. strikeouts, you know? So, I mean, I, I know the pitch is outside. I will say this. One thing about umpires is if they're bad, they're usually, as long as they're consistent, people can handle it, you know? Yeah. And, no, and I and think this, he was consistently was so bad. Consistent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he was but I mean, the guy had an extra six inches on the what this Gonzalez was just sitting on, and it, it just didn't. I mean, both that was effective, and so was uh, Santiago. But right. I mean, he was just sitting there, 
Because, you know, it's like uh, Anderson had a 3-1 count, and he, he, took a, he took the outside fastball. He took it so nicely, and it's like everything Anderson's working at, and I wanted to see him get rewarded for that. Right. And then he gets, he gets the second called strike, and then he ends up flying out or whatever. Right, I mean, right. There was, and and he, to your point, he was. I don't know if you guys, are you, do you typically watch on TV in the booth or? We have it up there, but you know, you're always doing stuff and all that, so it's yeah. kind of hard to, it's hard to follow as much as you know you, you'd like to in the whole thing. So yeah, I, I think we probably didn't notice it as much. I mean, the, the little I, you know, I think probably it shows more for Gonzalez because Gonzalez has got really good stuff. Whereas, let's face it, you know. All due respect to Chris Volstead, but his stuff's not electric at this point, or no. if it was ever, you know. So the Hector stuff is pretty good, but I, you know, I, I don't know if it played as much for him. But I think Gonzalez, you know, got a little bit of that. But yeah, I mean, that's stuff the Sox are going to earn, I guess, right, as they go and show their command of the strike zone and show their command at the plate and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I just think if uh, if Hawk was announcing this game, you know, he would have been. <laughs> that, that's like one of his feels, you know. What, what was his name? Uh, I, Urbecker or something, I forget the umpire's name, but Urbeck? Her, uh yeah, it, may, it might have been. But but you know, Hawk's thing is oh, he's consistent. Might be a big zone, but he's consistent, you know? Yeah. Just like, yeah. They they shouldn't have like this the call Davidson got rung up on. I mean Anderson, Makata, like they all had a few bad ones. But But yeah, I think Davidson was also pissed because it's first and third, you know what I mean? That's the time oh, run right. right there. So there you go. And yeah, Haw- so- Hawk is weird because Hawk would be Hawk would kill umpires, and then, like, randomly one game, it'd be like, you know, a different game, be like the seventh inning, and he'd turn to Stone, and he'd be like, yeah, you know, what's it called? Uh, I can't think of a guy's name. Uh, Ted Bear, great game tonight. He's done a great job behind the play. You know, <laughs> just, just randomly, he'd pick a game to say, oh, yeah, it's a hell of a game umpire. He'd, he'd be great, you know. Hawk so. would have been defending this guy because he would. So oh, okay, because he was concerned. What you're saying? Yeah, okay. I mean, this is this was like a this was like a high school strike zone. I mean, it was huge. Right, and, and uh, I mean, uh, I don't, especially with the shadows and everything. It was not a hitting environment to begin with, and uh, I don't know. It, it was, it made for a pretty terrible game, and I, I think the guy took over the game. You know, That's a pretty uh, good, uh, pretty good late inning punch for uh, Seattle, though, huh? With that uh, Altavilla and Nicasio and Diaz at the back end. Good lord! I, I don't even know that Altavilla guy, but he was he was uh, sharp today. I mean, Diaz. Yeah, I think I, I like Trace. Trace is a super good kid, but. I don't think Trace is going to be around very long. I think Trace is just, you know, he what's, McCona, like that. what's the, the dude's name? Uh, Cordell, you know, injured himself, and, you know, the, Garcia got hurt. So I think Trace is there out of necessity right now. You know, I don't think I don't think Trace is in short-term or long-term plans for them right now, even with Angle as being as bad as he is right now. I mean, his, his swing, he was he was just falling on his backside. I think, I mean, he had the right idea. He was trying to go to the – because it was Moncada right, on second right. with nobody out. He was trying to go to the opposite field, but – I mean, he was just defeated up there. He was yeah, he awful. Had, he had no chance. And then Diaz, not only was he overpowering, but he was quick at that ninth inning, too. I mean, he was just getting it and firing it. The Sox were yeah. just like, help, you know? I mean, and Moncada's looked good the last couple of games, and he had no chance against Diaz in that ninth inning. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when when that like, – he's got some weird kink in his motion. And it's right. like it's, it, it just adds so much deception. And he, like, right. nobody right. nobody could touch his slider. I don't know. His slider just falls off the table. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it again. We'll uh, we'll talk soon, then. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Talk to right, you soon. Thanks, Bye. Bye. So that was Brian Billick and Scott Merkin. Hope you enjoyed that. Next, it's myself and Charlie Tilson. I talked to Charlie 
uh, this past weekend down in Charlotte before a game. Charlie growing up as a White Sox fan. Pretty cool stuff here from him. So hope you enjoy this on the Future Sox podcast. Clinton Collier with Charlie Tilson down here in Charlotte. Uh, Charlie, several questions for you. First, let's go back to 2016. You're part of that deadline deal uh, with Zach Duke. Uh, take me through that day. What was that like for you? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, an exciting day. Uh, you know, as a player, it's just another day in AAA. Uh, I was with Memphis at the time and woke up to a voicemail from our GM. Naturally, shot out of bed, uh, gave him a call back, found out I was getting traded to the White Sox. And, you know, all you want to do is get back on the field. And, and going through an injury of that significance, it slows you down. I mean, there's as much as you want to hurry up and, and go, it, it's going to happen at its own pace. So that was frustrating for me, for sure. Um, and battling back now after missing a lot of time, uh, it's a challenge, but, you know, I love it. And uh, I really have a lot of confidence in myself. And, and I know, you know, it'll click and, uh, you know, I'll be back where I need to be. And, you know, much bigger appreciation for the opportunity given what I've gone through. So, so, so I mean, you're 100% right now? Yeah, I feel great. I feel great. Obviously, you know, I'd like to be more productive on the field than I have in this first month, but um, it's, it's a challenge. Like I said, I'm, I'm giving it my all, and, and as long as I'm 100% physically, I'll be able to keep working at it and, and keep producing. So, you know, the Sox organization is, I guess, the third best in the MLB pipeline, whatever that means for you. Uh, but, but with that comes a loaded outfield, and it's, this organization probably has the best outfield talent in minor league baseball. Sure. So what do you have to do to set yourself apart? I got to stick to my game. I mean, we got a ton of great players, uh, all good guys. I mean, that's that's something that you embrace is competition. We can we can feed off each other. Um, what I can provide is, is a, a guy who can do a lot of things, I believe. I mean, I can situationally hit. I can play solid defense just about anywhere in the outfield. And, you know, I can compete at the plate. Uh, I think, you know, I want to strive to be a, a table setter at the big league level, um, you know, be able to get on base and, see a lot of pitches and be a tough out, I think uh, that's going to be the difference maker for me. Last thing for you, I mean, you know, some serious stuff, but end it with this. What's been your favorite baseball moment in your whole career? That's such a good question. You know, I, I won state my sophomore year and kind of an underdog team. Um, pretty incredible moment, but nothing will ever beat, you know, putting on a White Sox jersey and getting a base hit up the middle my first at bat. I mean, that was like... I mean, all those, all the work you put in, it all comes together, and, and having that opportunity, man, and wearing the jersey for you know the team that helped me fall in love with the game. I mean, it's incredible, man. It's really incredible. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. So that's it. That's another Future Sox podcast in the books. Hope you enjoyed Brian's talk with Scott Merkin and mine, my short one with uh, Charlie Tilson. We'll be back later on this week, possibly early next week, with a full podcast. Trying to get our schedules correlated here. Uh, but then I will be talking to Jason Benetti on May 10th, Thursday, May 10th. So be on the lookout for that one a week from this coming Friday. Until then, go Sox!